Okay, Daniel 12, we're just going to read the entire chapter. Verse 1, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, he was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burn offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your holy and sacred word. And we look to you, O Father, that you may instruct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been quite a journey, but we find ourselves at the end, don't we? We find ourselves at the end, the conclusion of not only Daniel's vision, which has been going on over the last three chapters, but we find ourselves at the conclusion of Daniel's book. And I'm always amazed at the the practicality of how practical these ancient words are to our contemporary culture. It's amazing how the words of this ancient book speak to our hearts right here and right now, isn't it? And that really shouldn't surprise us because what's the difference between us and our ancient counterparts? You've heard me say it many times. The difference is the clothes we're wearing, the cars we're driving, and the houses we're living in, isn't it? That's about it. Uh, Human nature hasn't changed any since Daniel's day. Uh, Of course, God's word is timeless. So yes, it speaks speaks to our hearts. And what is Daniel and and the faithful really trying to accomplish here uh, they're, they're trying to make their pilgrimage uh, through this fallen world is what they're trying to do. They're trying to figure it out, aren't they? And I think we can relate to that. What are we trying to do? Trying to do the same thing. <laughs> so I think what better way to end this practical study than asking this practical question, how are we to do this? You know, how, are we to, how are we to walk faithfully amidst this fallen world or we might say it this way how are we to live in this fallen world 
And I raise this question because the text we come to this, this morning, we're going to see, speaks really abundantly uh, to that question. So let's, uh, let's plow through. I think before we go too much further, we, we ought to review here. If you look back to chapter 10, uh, there's a lot of material here. Starting in, in chapter 10, 11, and 12, as I've already said, this is all one single vision. You know, we've taken three weeks to study it, but we need to remember that this is all one continuous vision. And, and what, is, what has been happening? Well, you, you see here Daniel in verse 2 of chapter 10. Uh, he's mourning. He's fasting. He's praying. He's been doing this for three weeks. Why? Why is he doing this? Well, because three years earlier, Cyrus had issued the decree to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. You remember several weeks ago, I said, listen, we always got to wrestle with the context. We, we have to be careful. It's so easy to forget Daniel and the faithful have been out of Jerusalem for 70 years. The temple is in ruins. There hasn't been any sacrifices offered there for 70 years. And... Cyrus gives the decree to go back and rebuild the temple just as God promised that he would do. And we can imagine that the faithful went back to Jerusalem with a lot of excitement uh, to rebuild the temple. Uh, but we discovered a couple weeks ago that when, when they went back to rebuild it, they found the opposition to be so hostile and so powerful. And things were so harsh that they, they soon abandoned the work in, dis, in despair. And that's why Daniel, he's deeply grieved over the situation. He enters into a season of prayer. And I can't help but repeat an application I've made several times right here. This is the way ministry often is, isn't it? I mean, so much of the time you get this experience or this uh, opportunity to, to engage in ministry and you, you have these big plans. You think things are going to go this certain way and you jump in. And away you go, only to discover the opposition. It was much harder than you ever thought it would be. Some of you have attempted to get Bible studies up and going and have discovered that. That's the way ministry often is. I, I can remember in the planning stages of Tri-State Community Church, I can remember thinking, wow, you know, we got three years of support. By the time the three years are over, we ought to have a congregation that's up and going good enough here that, uh, you know, away we go. And I got to tell you, over the last eight years, there's been, it's been a roller coaster ride. When I was in seminary, there was a man who came to speak to us in the chapel. He was uh, recruiting for the army. He was recruiting army chaplains. And, and in the course of his talk, he shared with us that, you know, throughout his long ministerial experience, he had planted a church. And that piqued my interest because I've always been interested in church planting. And I remember what he said. I can remember it like he said it this morning. He said, during the course of planting, church planting, he had never experienced such highs. But then in the very next sentence, he said he had never experienced such lows. It's a roller coaster. Up and down. And uh, I share this because... The people of God here in chapters 10, 11, and 12 are in a very low spot. And what do you do when you're in a very low spot? Daniel leads the way. 
And I think, honestly, as I look at the condition of the tri-state area and the condition of the church in the tri-state area, I mean no unkindness, but I think we're in a very low spot. Very low spot. When conversions are as few as they are today, we're in a very low spot, aren't we? I'm talking about true conversions. People coming to Christ. What's Daniel doing as he leads the way? Well, I think I see him in his closet. What's he doing in his closet? I think he's bowed very low. What is he bowed very low for? He's praying. He's in prayer. He's pouring his heart out to God. And in doing so, he leads the way. We might think of, as I was pondering this section of my message a few days ago, I couldn't help but to think of Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Some of you know this verse really well. This is Daniel. This is the posture that Daniel's in as he goes before the Lord. And I think it's the posture that we need to uh, be in as well. Now, in the midst of Daniel's prayer, he gets an unexpected visit, doesn't he? We saw that a couple weeks ago. He gets an unexpected visit. He gets a, he gets a surprise that he would not have received apart from prayer. Had he not been in prayer, he would have not received this visit from this archangel. And the angel appears to encourage Daniel. And we need to remember this. Just as the angel has appeared to encourage Daniel, these things have been recorded for our benefit to do what? To encourage us as well. They're meant to be an encouragement to us as well. So we do rightly when we find encouragement from these words. What is the, what is the mission? What, what is the archangel com communicating to Daniel? We looked at it last week. He gives prophecy of really largely he's... He is prophesying the events that are going to take place all the way into about the second century B.C. And we looked at some of those and we saw the stunning accuracy and stunning detail of how God is able to predict the future. And it's amazing. And what is the point of that? The point of that is to show us that no matter what it appears, no matter how it looks, no matter what things look like, it might look like the wheels are coming completely off. God is in complete and total control. Now, some of these things haven't yet come to pass. Some of these things, many of these things are in Daniel's future, but they're in our past. But some of these things are still in our future. And Daniel's future. And to those things we join with Daniel looking to the future, don't we? Namely, the consummation of all things. Namely, the end of all of this. When God finally puts an end to all of the evil, when there'll be no more need to lift up prayer concerns, only praises. We won't be asking for concerns anymore. There won't be any to, there won't be any to vocalize. Wouldn't that be? That would be, that's almost unimaginable, isn't it? It'd only be say, what do you want to praise God for? That's the only thing we'd have. Absolutely amazing. No matter how bad it looks, God is in complete control. 
Now, this brings us to first one of our texts. And you'll notice that first little phrase that we come to there in chapter 12, verse 1, that phrase, at that time. You see that? There's a time frame giving at that time. I take these words to be toward the end of what the New Testament calls the last days. You know, you read your New Testament, once in a while you come across that little phrase, the last days. What are the last days? They're the days between Christ's ascension and his return. They're the days between Christ ascending to the right hand of God the Father, where he's been in session ever since, and his second return. That means we're currently in the last days, aren't we? And uh, if we look back at verse 1 again, we see at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince. Michael's an archangel. The great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Now, the Bible is very clear that the last days are going to be time of, of sore distress. Jesus tells us this, doesn't he? He says, in this world, you're going to have what? You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. We all know that, don't we? We're well aware of that fact. Uh, verse 1 of our text seems to indicate that towards the end of these last days, things will get very bad. Paul speaks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. He says this, he says, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of God in us, but denying its power. And then in verse 7, he says, oh, they'll be always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Peter says the same thing when he says in 2 Peter 3, verses 2 to 3, he says, you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So what do we gain from this? What do, we, what do we see this? The general ethos of this present age is going to be one in which wickedness is prevalent. The Bible is really clear about that. It's very clear about that. But the angel tells us that toward the end of this age, things will get much worse for the people of God. If we go back to verse 1 again, we see that after these comments, the angel then offers these comforting words. He says, but at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, that is the book of life. And then in what follows, verses 2 and 3, we have the clearest reference. This is the clearest reference to the resurrection in the Old Testament. If you look at verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Verse 3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Here's a great promise, isn't it? Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky. In the second half of this verse, I've been holding on to this verse for weeks, I think maybe months. I don't remember when it first, I was reading over this material just uh, during just the normal preparation time, preparing for a sermon some months ago in Daniel and I came across verse 3, and it says, Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That promise that those who turn many to righteousness will shine forever. 
Have you ever had the opportunity, the privilege of leading someone to Christ? If you have, you're going to shine. You're going to shine forever. Have you ever had the, maybe you haven't ever had the opportunity to lead someone to Christ, but have you ever had the opportunity to come alongside of someone and be used by God to point them in an opposite direction? They were headed down the wrong path and God used you to kind of to help them turn around a little bit and, and they started moving towards righteousness. Maybe they haven't come to faith yet, but they're headed in that direction. Have you ever been used by God to do that? You're going to shine. Isn't that a great promise? Isn't that a great encouragement to get involved in ministry? These are great promises. Let's return to my opening question. How are we to live in this broken world? We've already got the answer. And it can be summarized with one word. And that word is wisdom. Wisdom. Look at verse 3 again. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If you look down to verse 10, we see the same thing. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand. But look at this last phrase. But those who are wise shall understand. Wisdom is the answer here. We may say, okay, well, uh, it's those who are wise that will shine. Okay, the question before us is what does it mean to be wise? Does that mean that salvation is only for those who are really sharp, for the those who are intelligent, for those who are maybe smarter than the average bear. And if that's the case, what's, what's, what's in store for the rest of us? Well, I, is, the, is, is salvation only for the wise? To that we must say no emphatically. In our call to worship this morning, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I kind of asked you to stick your bulletin in there. Keep your fingers in Daniel 12 and go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I was going to use Psalm 20 as our call to worship, but this morning on the way to church I thought, no, let's, let's use 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. If you look at verse 26, and we're thinking about what does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to have wisdom? Does it mean to be Smarter than the average bear? The Apostle Paul answers this question for us in verse 26. He says, brothers and sisters, think of, uh, think of what you were when you were called. Now, Paul is speaking to the believers in Corinth. And he's asking them, think about what you were uh, when you were called. He says, not many of you were what? Not many of you were wise. Then look at the phrase that comes right afterwards. By human standards, that is. By human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, 
let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What is Paul saying? What is Paul saying here? Salvation is only for the super smart? No, 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 no. That's not what Paul is saying. No, no. Not by human standards, that is. That is. So when, then what does it mean to be wise? Listen to this verse from Psalm 111 and verse 10. It answers our question by saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Is, it, is salvation only for, the, for those who have high IQs? Absolutely not. This isn't about an IQ. We can have a very low IQ. What is this about? It's about the fear of the Lord. Who are the wise? They're those who fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? There are those who look to God with that fatherly respect. Who look to God in such a way that they realize that it's from his hand that they have received everything that's good in their lives. And it's from his hand that they're being perpetuated and sustained. And it's from his hand that all their needs are met. And it's from his hand that salvation is put before them. It's from his hand that we've been given a savior. And out of thanksgiving for that, there's a desire to want to please him. That's what the fear of the Lord looks like. And it is those who are in possession of the fear of the Lord who are the wise that are in view in Daniel chapter 12. It's to these that Daniel is is speaking. And of course, uh, uh, there is no wisdom apart from Christ, is there? It could be no wisdom. It's never wise to, to be separated from Christ. There's a billboard that's along the highways. I haven't seen one in a while, but we used to see them all the time. You know the billboard that says, wise men still seek Jesus? You've seen that billboard before. There's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? There's a lot of truth to that. Now look with me to verse 4. Our vision continues, but you, Daniel, were... The angel tells Daniel to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. He says, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Do you see that verse there? It's a little cryptic, isn't it? What's it mean, first of all, to shut up the words and seal the book? Well, in the ancient Near East, there was a custom that whenever, uh, whenever they were in possession of a really important document, what they would do is they would duplicate that document. And they would use the duplicate and they'd take the original and they would seal it with an official seal. It, we, have, we have something like that in our own culture. You go to the notary and you, you have something that you want notarized, if you will. Uh, okay, there are witnesses there and, and the document is handled and then the notary pulls out this little, it, 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 this little thing that's called a stamp. And they stick it on the paper and they crimp it. And it puts a seal on the document, doesn't it? That's what's meant here. The idea behind all this is Daniel's being instructed to take this prophecy and put it in safekeeping so it'll be a benefit to future generations. And here we are right now with our nose in the book, benefiting from these words, aren't we? Just like many generations who've gone on uh, before us 
Now, he also tells us that many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. What is that all about? It's an allusion to Amos 8.12. In case you're wondering, what does that got to do with anything this morning? Our scripture memory verse from Amos 8 and verse 12. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but shall, they shall not find it. It's a prophecy of judgment upon Israel who have rejected God's word. And what does it mean? Well, it, it means that, you know, you can reject God's word and reject God's word and reject God's word to a point that God's word actually becomes so sealed that it's now uh, away from your grasp. And that is what's in view. People will seek the truth, but they'll never find it. Because they won't look for it in the right place. And we see that going on all over the place. Uh, people trying to find the truth, but they won't look for it in the right place. Verse 10, conversely, says, if you look down there with me, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. Of course, these are the wise, and there's only one way to purify yourself. That's by the blood of Christ, right? There's no other way to be pure. Uh, conversely, the verse continues, but the wicked shall act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And again, the idea is that people will seek the truth, but they'll never find it because they refuse to look for it in the right place. And they, they, boy, do we see this true today, don't we? I don't want to talk about the world this morning. I just want to talk about the church. The, there's a wholesale abandonment of the word of God in the church. Yeah, this morning, here we are with our nose in the book. But that's not where everybody's at this morning. Not everybody's got their nose in the book. It's been a while since I've got these phone calls, but I've received phone calls. I've told some of you about them. People, I, I, the first one I got I thought was bizarre. I got this phone call and this person said, tell me about Tri-State Community Church. So I started to tell them briefly about the church. And, and then they stopped me before I could really even finish. And they said, well, do you, do you guys open up your Bibles? And I, I was like, excuse me? They're like, well, like when you, when you get together for worship, do you, do you open up your Bibles? Um, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I assured them that the Word of God is a big part of what we do. And I didn't think much about it until I got the second phone call that sounded so similar. Do you guys use your Bibles? I'm, I'm like, okay, something's up here. When I got the third phone call, I, I asked, I just asked point blank. I said, you're the third person that's called me and asked me this question. What's going on? What, what is behind all these people calling me and asking me if we use our Bibles? Because we don't use our Bibles. There's a message up on the screen and it, there's a sentence and that's, that's it. And it's not cited. We don't even know where these words are coming from. Not everybody's nose is in the book. The preaching and teaching of men have substituted for the preaching and teaching of the word of God. And the Apostle Paul, he, what's he say? He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And we see that going on. And it's been going on for many centuries. I think it's sad when you have people that are attending services like that who really want to hear the truth. 
I think it's sad for them, but I also know from experience when you go into some of these assemblies and you actually preach the truth, it's very clear that the truth isn't desired. And that's usually expressed in the fact that you're not asked to ever return again. Now, how do we navigate through this fallen world? Well, according to our text, we walk through this world wisely. What I want to do in the next few minutes that we have remaining is I want to flesh this out using some of the major themes that we've looked at through our course of our whole study with Daniel. And I think, for starters, we navigate through this world understanding that God's in control. This is clearly the dominating theme in Daniel, isn't it? The sovereignty of God. That God is completely in control. And this makes sense because the people of God are helpless. They've lost their city. They've lost their, they've lost their country. They've lost, uh, many of them have lost family members. They've lost their temple. They're carried off into this strange land. And there they're helpless, really. And that's when the message of God's sovereignty really is most comforting is when we find ourselves most helpless. So, uh, there's no better message. Secondly, we navigate through this world understanding that true blessedness can only be found in following after the Lord. True blessedness can only be found in following after the Lord. Daniel is one of the most blessed of all of the biblical saints. He is held in probably higher esteem than anyone else in the scriptures. Aside from Jesus. And what is his secret? I only say that because that's, that's kind of what's popular to say today. What is the secret? There is no secret. It's very obvious. It's very obvious that Daniel's life is about following hard after the Lord. While some are seeking riches and seeking stuff and seeking all these things. Daniel, what's he up to? He's following after the Lord. While some are trying to keep up with the Joneses. What's Daniel doing? He's following after the Lord. That's what Daniel is doing. And Daniel shows us the path to true blessedness. It's following after the Lord. And related to that, I'll give you a third. Related to that is that we navigate through this world clinging to Christ. Following hard after the Lord involves clinging to Christ. We could think of the Apostle Paul in these regards. He had probably memorized the Old Testament if he could imagine such a task. And then on the Damascus Road, when he had his papers from the chief priests to go and persecute the church in Damascus, he's blinded by a light. And he hears a voice from the heaven. And it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's the, it's the, it's the, they are the words of Christ. And what's Paul say? The man who probably had memorized the entire Old Testament, what does he respond? He says, who are you, Lord? He doesn't know who he is. So you see, following after the Lord, it doesn't even involve necessarily memorizing the whole Testament. It involves clinging to Christ. Clinging to Christ. We navigate through this world clinging to Christ. Fourthly, we navigate through this world understanding there's a cosmic battle raging on. We looked at that last week. And we're going to be looking at that in April. Next week's Donald's ordination service then we have about two weeks before uh, Palm Sunday, and then we have Easter. So I don't want to start our, our spiritual uh, warfare sessions until April, until after Easter. So we'll probably look at a couple of Psalms next month, and, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll look at Palm Sunday, and we'll look at Easter, and then we'll go from there. So I won't say much, but 
really, we navigate through this world understanding that all the evil and all of the things that we see going on is this outpouring of this cosmic battle that's taking place. We saw that there are fallen, powerful, fallen angels that are actually at work to try to oppose everything that God's doing. We've seen that, haven't we? And we'll say more about that in a few weeks. Fifthly, and related to that, we ask how long? You know, the, the psalmist asks that question. How long? How long is this going to go on? How long? Navigating through this world wisely means we realize that this is temporary. Temporary. When we ask the question, how long? We answer, temporary. This is temporary. And you might be wondering if I was ever, if I was going to skip the phrase a time, a times, and half a time, and 1,290 days and 1,330, some of you are smiling. I'd like, I kind of was tempted to skip that stuff and probably could have gotten away with it if I wouldn't have just brought it up now. But now that it's up, what do we do with that? A time, times, and half a time. I say it probably refers to three and a half years. That's what most commentators say, time, times, and a half a time. 1,290 days is approximately three and a half years. But from there, what do we do with it? Is it referring to the time of a, a Antiochus Epiphanes, which we talked about last week, or is it referring to a future manifestation of the evil that Antiochus Epiphanes committed, or is it, is it both? Um, I am of the opinion, and this is an opinion, that it's speaking of both, but I, I don't think any of us really know, to be honest with you, and this is where the majority of the ink is spilled on this chapter, uh, on what is least clear. Uh, I'm really choosing to, to stay with what is very clear that's what's going to minister to us, not with what is unclear. Filling you with a bunch of theories, I don't think it's going to do any of us any good. Uh, but here are the things that we know. I think I can say this with pretty good confidence, that three and a half years is half a seven, right? I can say that with confidence, right? Three and a half is half a seven. Man, that's profound, isn't it? Whoo. Well, seven is a... a uh, it's a number of judgment, a number of completion. Let me say that. It's a number of completion. And the three and a half years, obviously, it's speaking of some kind of judgment. And I think what we can conclude is the judgment's going to be cut in half. The judgment's going to be cut in half. And the 1,290 days points to the fact that God has a definite time frame. How are we to navigate through this fallen world when we look at some of the things that we see sometimes? You know, at some time back, I saw something. I won't describe it to you because I wished I wouldn't have seen it. But now that I've seen it, the image of it is in my head. Have you ever had an experience like that? Where you see something and you wish you wouldn't have seen it. It leaves you with this. This has really affected me. It's, I wished I wouldn't have seen it. But I've, I've been comforted by the fact that the suffering I saw is only temporary. It's only temporary. Boy, if we didn't have that information, how awful that would be, wouldn't it? To think that's going to go on forever like that. It's only temporary. 1,290 days points to the fact that God has a definite day. He has a definite day. There's a day. There's an X on a calendar somewhere, and that is the day, and it's not going to change. That is the day that comforts us as we go through this world seeing things we wish we wouldn't have seen. The 1,335 days... Ian points out that it, it heightens the sense of mystery concerning this and emphasizes our need to keep plowing through. I think he's right. You know, that extra 45 days, uh, how that 
pans out, I have no idea. Uh, it does indeed heighten the mystery. Uh, but uh, let's keep plowing through. So how are we to navigate through this fallen world? We deal with all of the pain, suffering, and evil that abounds by understanding that it is temporary for those who are in the faith. And of course, this encourages us to share the gospel with everyone, doesn't it? And lastly, and one more thing, how do we navigate through this fallen world? We do so prayerfully. For reasons I've already elaborated on, I won't repeat myself and occupy and detain you any longer. But we do this prayerfully, don't we? Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great study in Daniel, Father. We thank you that, Father, you've equipped us. You've given us the tools and the resources that we need, Father, to make through the difficulties of, this, of living in this fallen world. And Father, we pray that you would apply all these things to our hearts and lives, Father. We pray that, Lord, this wouldn't just be something we sat and listened to for a few minutes and then uh, went about our way. But, Father, the truths of the book of Daniel would find their way penetrating deep and sinking down deep into the soil of our hearts, Father, that uh, the fruit of Daniel would, uh, would be realized by each one of us. So, Father, we thank you for this uh, teaching and instruction. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.